You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. And it became your whole life. You know, when it was over, it was like, okay, now what do I do today? You, you know, the thing about that is, is it happened so fast. That whole conversation is coming up. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Angry Beaver Bar and Grill in Corvallis. More on the Angry Beaver at the end of this episode. No, just kidding. During this entire episode, because I'm talking with the co-owner of Angry Beaver Bar and Grill, former Oregon State football player, Randy Holmes. All right, on to episode 76. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Randy Holmes played football for Oregon State 1980 to 83, almost the entirety of the Joe Avizano era. Randy Holmes was a running back totaling 1,700 yards in his career, six touchdowns. He went on to become a chef, including over a decade at the Gables on 9th Street in Corvallis. When that restaurant was around, he cooked there most of the 90s. He also cooked at the Peacock about three decades ago. And he's the self-proclaimed first hot dog cart vendor the city of Corvallis ever had. He's now the co-owner of the Angry Beaver Grill in downtown Corvallis, which has about the most impressive collection of Oregon State memorabilia you'll ever see. He also does some cooking at Tristing Tree Golf Course, which is where I sat down with Randy a couple of weeks ago. The first question I asked Randy is why he came to Oregon State, because the Beavers were in a stretch of losing seasons. Ultimately, the streak would become 28 straight years of losing seasons. He came in partway through that stretch, but he came out of state. He's from Boise, Idaho. So the first thing we talk about is why did he choose to come play football in Corvallis, Oregon, when he's not a hometown kid or anything like that? So here is a guy who didn't start in Oregon, but has made his roots in Oregon. Here is Randy Holmes. Well, you know, I Oregon State had contacted me a few times. Um, I happened to know a guy who was coaching at Boise State. Uh, his name was Dave Campo. And Dave Campo started recruiting me. He was going to take on a job at Oregon State. And uh, so, da you know, Dave was actually trying to get me to Boise State at one time, which I wasn't going to do. I didn't want to stay in Boise. I didn't want to, because back in those days, Boise State was nothing near what it, what it was now. And, you know, so Dave really recruited me hard. And then Dave ended up getting a job at Oregon State with, with Joe. And, you know, honestly, I had no intention of coming to Oregon State, none. I came to a visit, but at the same time, I wasn't going to come. I was either going to go to Tennessee or Washington. And Tennessee was recruiting me really hard. I had a great visit back there. And that's, it's funny because that's where I first met Joe. When I took a recruiting trip to Tennessee, Joe was at Tennessee. And he was getting ready to come to Oregon State, though. And it's so funny because I had come into coach's office when I was at Tennessee. And, and I'll never forget Joe. I mean, that's, that, that guy stuck with me because I'll never forget Joe. When I went to Tennessee... I was walking to coach's office. He came out and introduced himself, said hi, because he couldn't say anything about Oregon State to me. But I'll never forget Joe. He had on this black and white checkered suit. <laughs> and I, just, was a, I was a kid from Boise, Idaho, and I was just looking at him like, who is this guy? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, but Joe and I got along well. Uh, Joe was good to me, and Joe and I always got along really well. And, um, but... Like I said, I had no intention of coming to Oregon State. 
um, I had, or I had told, I had committed to Washington actually. And, and by the end of it, I was committed, I was gonna go to Washington. And uh, they were recruiting me really hard. Uh, the only thing is they wanted to make me a defensive back. And you know, I wanted to be a running back. And Oregon State came in saying that, you know, Randy, with your talent, you, you're gonna come in to start. You know, you can come in to Oregon State and start. And so I was like, yeah, you know, that was, that was a motivator. Um, you know, but I was recruited by probably every Division I school in the nation was after me. And I think in the end, I had boxes of letters, and I think I had 438 scholarship offers coming out of high school. And that was Division I and Division II and Division III. We'd had two unbeaten seasons at Bora High School, is where I came from, and we won state. My junior year was the first time they'd ever had a state championship. So we won the first state championship in the state of Idaho my junior year, and we came back my senior year and won it again. And I was a pretty good athlete. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who, his name was Angelo Dululo, he was a kid out of Boise High, and he was coming to Oregon State. He had committed to come to Oregon State, and he's like, Randy. He goes, come to Oregon State with me. Come on, let's go to Oregon State. You know, it's a down program, but let's go. He goes, I'm going. I'd, I'd love to play with you. I would just love to play with you now instead of always against you because you always kicked my butt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I got to thinking about it, and I went to my high school coach, and I was like, you know, I said, Oregon State was never in my mind, but the more I thought about it, it was, if I'm as good as I think I am, if I'm as good as people tell me I am, then why not go to a losing program and become something? I think, you know, the challenge, there was more of a challenge to go there than anywhere else. Um, a lot of the other schools that I was looking at, I probably would have been just another number you know, just another guy there, you know, in a winning program. I mean, so what is, what difference did I, what difference can I make? And that's why I went to Oregon State, was because losing program, and if I'm as good as I think I am, I think it's a better payday to take something from nothing and make it something. And then everybody will remember you and know who you are, and you were part of creating this program that started to win. So then if you look back in your time at Oregon State, you came in to say, I want to try to make an impact. Now you look back at the four years you had there, how would you say it went compared to whatever expectations you may have had of what it would look like? The expectation, I didn't, you know, I had expectations of, of making that a winning program. I, that was my expectation coming in. And we didn't do too well. I mean, you know, we, we lost a lot of games, a lot of tough games. We played a lot of big schools though too. You know, I saw a lot of guys leave. You know, there was a lot of guys in that, you know, after our first year and after our second year, you know, not winning much and getting beat up pretty good. And, you know, I saw a lot of guys leave. You know, they went, said we're going to go to other schools, other small schools, um, you know, just transfers. And I think it was my sophomore year, I think we had like 60, 60 some guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, we just, we didn't have a big team. And, uh, you know, we kept getting beat up. And, uh, but you know, it was, uh, I've always had the belief since I was young that 
you know, playing in sports and just because you're getting beat all the time is really not the reason to, to quit or, or leave. And so I remember talking with Nick Aliotti one day and he came up to me and goes, well, I heard you thinking about leaving. I said, who told you that? He was just, you know, word on the street. You know, and I said, no. I said, Nick, I said, you need to understand me a little bit better. I made a commitment to come here and play. I'm going to stick to that commitment. Just because it's not going so good is, is not a reason for me to quit because I'm going to keep playing, I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to keep trying to make this place a winning program. And so I'm here for four years. <laughs> you know, so, you know, which I got a lot of respect from, you know, for Nick and some other coaches about that decision when that came up. And, uh, but I said, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You know, and and that was pretty much it on that. Yeah. Yeah. When you eventually moved on from Oregon State after 1983, it would have been your yeah. senior year. Yeah. Uh, you had a little bit of a, a time with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Trying out at camp there. Yeah. Which is a fun little little point. Uh, how did you ultimately? come to grasp with, we'll come to, to talking about your professional career, becoming a chef, I'll ask about that in a moment, but in terms of how you had to make the decision of, all right, I'm not going to play football anymore, how did you make that choice? Well, you know, it was, uh, well, when I was done at Oregon State, I was, I, was, I was getting my mindset already at that point that I was done. I mean, you know, we were hanging out to Peacock and Stein, playing pool, drinking beer, and, you know, and, you know, with a bunch of guys, and, and uh, you know, so I mean, I was already in that mindset of, you know, football's over and, and I need to figure out what I'm going to do now and, you know, those, th those things. And, you know, I was uh, engaged to get married and, you know, Shelly and I had a baby on the way and, and uh, you know, so I was doing some real soul searching about what I was going to do for a job, you know, and then I get this phone call from the Viking Scout and it says they want to bring me in as a free agent. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, who are you? And, you know, who's playing this joke on me? And, you know, you know, I, was just, I started laughing and I was about ready to hang out. He goes, no, 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 Randy, no, no, we really want to bring you in. And like I said, I had ran or lifted a weight since football was over. And so it was like, oh my gosh, you know. But um, next morning I woke up at six o'clock in the morning, started running, started lifting some weights. And I still showed up at camp, you know, I had two weeks, two weeks to try to get my butt in shape. And, trying to make it of something, but I was, I was pretty excited about it. You know, I didn't know what to expect and, and that, but, uh, you know, I ended up going into main camp and made it through main camp where a lot of guys didn't even make it through main camp. And, you know, they really wanted me to concentrate on the special teams part of it, and, you know, which I did. And then it came, you know, when I came back into camp, uh, it was down to me and another guy and they ended up cutting me and, and came home and, back to square one of figuring out what I was going to do, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, once I ended up taking a job, you know, I, I found a job just because life was coming real fast, you know, being married and a baby, you know, we just had a baby and, and uh, you know, life was coming at me pretty hard right then and school was just became not part of it at that time and which is crazy because I did end up graduating from Oregon State in 2012. I uh, was living in Bend and uh, went back to school. And that was one of my, 
bucket list things, I guess you would say, of I was going to finish my degree. And I went back to Oregon State and I went to OSU Cascades there for two years and got my degree in liberal studies and communications. Yeah, well done for finishing it. I mean, yeah. No matter, no, never too late to finish a degree. And so really you kind of retired twice from football because when yeah. your Oregon State career yeah. came to an end, that just seemed to be the conclusion. And then you went to the Vikings, even had a, an opportunity to go to the Canadian Football yeah. League for a yeah. little bit. Oh, yeah. Ultimately decided not to do that because yeah. you got a family and yeah. a kid on the way at the time. So as a person, once you really realize, okay, football is actually done for sure. No more football. I can no longer define myself as an athlete. That's not who I am anymore. Was there any wrestling personally, identity-wise, of who am I and, and what am I here for? What's my purpose? You, you know, I, I think I think we all do. I think I think anybody, you know, like a kid like me that had played sports their whole life. I mean, it did, and it became your whole life. You know, when it was over, it was like, okay, now what do I do today? You, you know, the thing about that is, is it happens so fast. You know, and you're just. I don't think any athlete is that, that plays sports their whole life like that, plays high school, you know, elementary, junior high, high school, and then college, and all of a sudden, it's over. And it, we, you kind of feel displaced a little bit about just your daily life, you know, because it was every day you got up and ran, you went and worked out, you had practice, you've been doing that for, for how, how long? And all of a sudden, that's gone. And so it was, it's a real struggle to try to refocus yourself into some, doing something else. But I think as an athlete, I think we're able to do that very well because we are structured. We, we've been structured our whole life. So to go out there into the work world was pretty normal for us. And you know, we, we did our work, our jobs, just like we would practice. I mean, because we were used to that. And, you know, I've always heard the saying that athletes make great employees. And I believe that, you know, just because we are structured our whole life. And, you know, we have to do this. We have to do that. This is what we need to do every day to get better. And turn that over into the work world is, is the same thing. You know, and, you know, but I was lucky enough to you know, after football and stuff, and I'd always had a passion for cooking. And I, like I said, I, I, I was the first person in Corvallis to ever have a food cart. You made history. I made, I made history again. First food cart <laughs> in the history of Corvallis, at least that we know of, recorded history. And you had the first one. How did that go to have a food cart down in 3rd and Madison? Oh, it was great. I mean, I had people coming. I mean, I had people coming from all over, just because a lot of people who knew me and uh, stuff, but uh, it was so funny that the health department didn't even know how to license me. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't even, they didn't have anything for food trucks or food carts or anything at the time. So they didn't even know how to, how to license me to do it. And so it was kind of a great experience on my part, but it was also for the health department because they really worked well with me to kind of make this a model for other people coming in and eventually wanting to do it. And so I became a real good resource for the health department on that aspect of it, because I was the first guy that ever done it. And they had no idea how to monitor it or do anything with it. But How but, much did it cost to buy a hot dog from you in 1987? In 1987, you get a hot dog from me for 
Uh, well, I did gourmet hot dogs. Oh yeah, no, you know, they're, they're I, good ones. I did. I did a real. It's funny because we. I used to have a lot of my friends. We used to get together before I started it, and we 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 tried like. I think we tried like 20 different hot dogs, you know? And then we'd vote on which hot dog. And then, then we'd make different hot dogs. I'd make a Chicago dog and pizza dogs and you know, chili dogs and everything else. And we went through this sampling thing for a month. And I think I gained about 20 pounds on that one. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, but I think back then you could get, if you just wanted a hot dog with mustard on it, I think it was two bucks. I think I was charging two bucks for a hot dog, and for a gourmet hot dog was four bucks. Yeah. You know, and uh, but I'll tell you that that was one of the funnest things I ever did. That was uh, it. Even got to a point where I kind of traveled around with it, and uh, there was a funny story there that when I kind of was looking at doing you know festivals and fairs and little things like that, I kind of started going on the road with my cart. And I'll never forget, I did a um, show in Bend and had my hot dog cart there. And I was actually going to Portland for the Rose City Parade up there for the, you know, when the ships come in and all that. And I, was, and I had already got into that. And I was driving that way and I'd gone through Moppin, Oregon. I'll never forget Moppin. Yeah, on Central, kind of on the Deschutes River. Uh huh. Yeah. And I stopped at Moppin because I just got done with this thing in Bend and was driving and I was like, you know, I'm gonna take a rest and saw a bar and I was like, I'm gonna go have a beer, I, I need a beer. <laughs> and so I went in to have a beer and I had parked my, my cart out front and sitting in there and these guys keep looking at me and they keep looking out the window and they keep looking at me and looking out the window and they're like, what is that out there? Is that, you got, is that like a dog cart or something? And I said, well, matter of fact, it is. And they're like, well, what breed of dogs do you have? And I'm like, <laughs> I go, that's a hot dog cart. <laughs> Different kind of dog. <laughs> and it was so funny because I think the guy at the time who was the mayor of Moppin and one of the city organizers for Moppin Days was sitting in there and they just lost like three vendors for Moppin Days. And they were like, hey, would you be really interested in doing your hot dog car here at Moppin Days? We don't have any food. We don't have anybody to do the food for our Moppin Days. And I'm like, We'll get you a hotel and you get a free tab at the bar. And I said, oh, I don't care about the hotel, but the free tab I'll take. <laughs> and so, so it's funny that I end up buying, I think, three counties around mopping out of hot dog buns, hot dog, ketchup, mustard, relish, sauerkraut. I think, and it was so funny because the, the mayor would run to different stores for me to, to pick up more because I kept running out of hot dogs because I was the only guy there. And so just stuff like that, you know, through life of, you know, things you remember that were, you know, Oregon State was tough, but I had a lot of good times too. You know, there was a lot of good that came out of it. And you know, I met a lot of good friends and good people. And, and uh, you know, my thing is I liked everybody. You know, I was that guy that I liked everybody, got along with everybody. And So once you moved on from your hot dog cart days. You, you started getting some established spots. You were at the Peacock for a while. You were at the Gables for well over a decade, about yeah. 14 years yeah. cooking, at, cooking at the Gables. You're now at the Angry Beaver. You're cooking at Trysting Tree. What became your passion with cooking, with developing well-crafted meals? What, what was it about that that really made you want to stick with it your whole life? 
Well, I, you know, that, that's a, it's a funny story about you know how life, how certain things happen to you that kind of lead you in different directions of your life, and I'll never forget. I uh, speaking of Angelo, who I ended up coming to Oregon State with, was that his dad was uh, the chef at uh, Hillcrest Country Club in Boise, and I went up there, and I was, one summer I was up there, and I was, we were swimming in the pool up there, and we decided to get something to eat. And Angelo's dad was a chef there, so Angelo was walking in the back, walking the walk-in, and we were back there getting some meat and some cheese and some bread and gonna make ourselves some lunch. And we come walking out of the walk-in, and Mr. Delulo was standing there right in front of us. And Mr. Delulo was a, was a very intimidating man. <laughs> and uh, he just asked us, he was, well, you know, where are you boys going with that food? And he was like, well, dude, dad, we're hungry, you know? <laughs> and, and I just kind of stood there, I was my eyes wide open, scared, scared out of my life. And, and he goes, no, you guys go right ahead. You guys go ahead and go ahead and eat. But when you get done eating, you come talk to me. And so we did, and we went and talked to him. And he goes, okay. He goes, I need these vegetables cut up. I need these potatoes peeled. I need this done. He goes, you guys owe me two hours of work. And I was like standing there, and he wanted me to cut up these vegetables. And I remember looking at Mr. Zulu and saying, I have no idea how to use a knife, Mr. Zulu. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So he actually took the time and came over and taught me how to hold a knife and how to cut and, and this and that. And I just was, had the greatest time. And I'll never forget, I came back after school the next day and I walked into the kitchen and I stood in front of Mr. Zulu and I said, Mr. Zulu, we have a problem. He goes, well, what's the problem, Randy? Well, here's the deal. It's either I'm going to keep stealing food out of your walk-in so you put me to work, or you're going to teach me how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And he just laughed at me. He goes, be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock. And I did, and I worked up there in the summers uh, just before I was actually coming to Oregon State. So I'd kind of already built kind of a, you know, interest in culinary and, and food at that time. And, um, you know, so, and then I, you know, through working, you know, doing the hot dog cart, working in, in, at the Peacock and stuff, I had an opportunity to come at me at the time with Larry Herring, who would come in there for lunch, about coming to work at the Gables. And uh, that was one of the best things I think I ever done, was when I went to work for Larry at the Gables. Because Larry Herring was just a super guy. I, I, I loved that guy, he was a great boss, he always had his little ways of saying things to you that you weren't quite sure what he was saying, but if you thought about it a little bit more, it made a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, and Larry had a lot to do with the Oregon State athletic programs, uh, high school programs. And uh, so I got to see a lot of that. And, uh, you know, that, like we were talking, bringing up Pam and Pam and Jack Riley was that, you know, they were always out there trying to get things going to create fundraisers for the sports programs and sell coupons and doing whatever they could to, to raise money for the programs. And uh, I think at that time, you were starting to see less and less of funding by the school district for the athletic programs. So it was pretty much all these high school athletic programs had to go out there and create the money themselves. So now it's you know, car washes, uh, anything we could do to, to raise money for the programs for new helmets, new uniforms, new, new this, you know, maintenance on the fields, uh, travel, um, all those things became part of the responsibility of the programs, not the schools. 
So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, I really furthered my career in the culinary aspect of food. Um, for a guy that knew nothing, 98, I ended up top 10 chefs in the state of Oregon. Did a competition, won People's Choice Award, and ended up taking third overall. Um, and I was just a plain guy. I mean, I had a white coat on, and everybody else around me had all these beautiful coats and hats and beautiful tables. And, you know, and I just had a table with a tablecloth, and, and, uh, and I did very well at it because, I mean, it's just like anything with sports. Um, you have to have a passion for it. You know, you have to have a passion to want to play sports you know, or to want to play football or baseball or whatever it is. You know, you have to make it become a passion for yourself where you, you love that more than anything in the world. And you can't wait to be there or get there. You can't wait to practice. You can't wait to play the games, you know, because it gave you this great high of, you know, of, of, you know, of being involved in it. And I took that into the culinary world, into the food world, and made, made that my passion, you know, from football, because I had that void of, you know, of being involved in sports and having that passion and, and doing the best you can and get out there and practice and get out there and play the games and the, the excitement of it all, you know? And so then I replaced my, my culinary world, my food world with that. And that's how, and I took it as like I was playing sports. So, and I got to be, really good at it and you know being at the gables for 14 years was one of the best things i ever did you know um i owed a lot to them people for for putting me to work in there especially larry uh, i sure missed that guy <laughs> yeah larry uh, you know larry seems like a great guy and i'm sure a lot of what you learned at the gables and the experience you got there fed into what you're doing now with the angry beaver and the experience yeah. and, and what you're able to do there uh, now that you're the co-owner of the Angry Beaver, and by the time I upload this podcast, we'll be into Pac-12 football season, and Oregon State will have played two or three games. It'll be two and zero, three and zero by that point. Right now, we're oh, up I've looked forward. Yes, they are. <laughs> you're after Washington State uh, just a little bit from now, but yeah. what uh, what's what has it been like? Not just during COVID times, but but being able to have a a sports bar with just amazing memorabilia, the, the atmosphere, the Oregon State, the menu that's all Oregon State related, yeah. the cool yeah. names, oh, yeah. named after athletes and coaches. Yeah. Oh. What has that been like to be in Oregon State alone uh, and, and to have a place like the Angry Beaver? I'll tell you, I, you know, the restaurant business is, I'll tell you, you know, as any, anybody that's probably listening to this that's involved in the restaurant business, they understand how tough it really is. It, it is such a tough business to be involved in. Um, but gosh, I've, I've done it so long that I just, you know, I, I enjoy it. And, but the one great thing about opening that, that Angry Beaver was is that, you know, home games, you know, not only just basketball, football, baseball, was that we used to get people from all over coming to town for those games. And they would come in and they'd like, oh, you know, let's go down to Angry Beaver not knowing that I was involved in it. And they'd come in and they'd just be stand there looking at each other like Randy and they're like like you know Jason, you know and it's just it you know and it was all of a sudden I started seeing guys I haven't seen since football, and so I don't know if I should have called it the Angry Beaver. Almost at that time I should have called it the reunion, you know. I mean, <laughs> which there was a place here called the class reunion at one time, but I should have called it the reunion because 
I remember a guy sitting in a booth across the room and looking over at somebody else over in the booth and calling me over saying, hey, is that Charlie sitting or, you know, is that, you know? And I'm like, sure is. He goes, you know, I played with Charlie. I haven't seen Charlie in 30 years, you know? <laughs> and so it became, it started to become this great place of past players kind of reunited and seeing each other and congregating in a place. And, and especially for me of seeing guys coming back for a football game and, and coming in and not knowing who, who, that I have it. And all of a sudden they're like, Randy? And I'm like, yeah, what are you doing, guys? I'm seeing that. How are you doing? What are you doing nowadays? I said, this. <laughs> they're like, what? And so, you know, it became, it, it became a lot of fun, you know, and it's, you know, this year's kind of going to be different because of COVID, but, you know, with that, and, but, uh, you know, we're going to do tailgates down there, every home game, every, not every home game, every game, we're going to have a tailgate down there, we're going to, you know, I got some, I got some old beaver gears and stuff I've, I've collected over the years, we're going to do some raffles and, and uh, do barbecues and, you know, things like that, and make it a fun thing. You've got so much cool memorabilia there. You've got a, a Michael Conforto All-Star jersey, a Jonathan Smith Fiesta Bowl jersey. Do you have a, a wish list, one piece of memorabilia that would be just awesome to add to the collection? Anything come to mind that would be just the most amazing thing to put up on the walls? That's a good question. That would take some really deep down thinking. There was always one guy that I wish I would have had on there that I didn't, and that was Bill Inyard. Oh, Earthquake Bill. Earthquake Bill. And, you know, I, I kind of got to know Bill over in Bend because he was living in Bend. And then Bill became sick. And I didn't know, and I didn't know Bill. You know, just kind of by name, he knew me by name. And I'd seen him at some, some functions a couple times. Um, but for the most part, I wish I would have had more something major of Bill Inyard. You know, and on the wall or something major big picture of him you know because i mean that guy was amazing you know i mean people used to say that when he would run the earth would shake you know i mean then that's how he got earthquake in yeah <laughs> you know and i did happen to see some photos of him back running the ball and i was like dang that guy's big <laughs> and it showed him a, i had there was this one picture a guy brought in that i was hoping to get but the guy ended up keeping it was a picture of Bill coming through the line with the ball running the ball. And I thought, whoever's going to get in front of this guy is going to have a bad day. <laughs> you know? And, you know, Bill was such a legend. You know, that he was a guy that just everybody remembered. You know, everybody loved Bill. And Bill had a lot of friends. And uh, so probably Bill Anyard would have been you know, something that I wish I would have had on the wall more of, or more photos of him playing football type of thing. Um, but man, that, that, that really brought up something to make me think about. Um, you know, there was a lot of legends at Oregon State. There was who I've met a lot of them, you know. Um, and it's just, you know, guys that I didn't know, but I've got to know, which in turn, by working out at the golf course has been a great thing. Because I've actually got to meet and get to know some of those guys who played football at Oregon State before me, or basketball, or whatever it is, baseball, and they've come out and play golf. I mean, these guys are in their 70s, 80s, still playing golf, and I've, it's given me a great chance to meet them and kind of get to know them and 
you know, if they're planning, like, hey, you mind if I join up with you? And, you know, and, have, and we've had some great conversations, and I've heard some great stories. And uh, I think at this point in my life and all of our lives, it's, we never run out of stories. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. You think you had seen it all or talked about it all, but all of a sudden you'll be with somebody and they'll bring up a story and they'll be like, gosh, you know, I forgot about that, <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, yeah. So I think, and I think that's what's great is the camaraderie that a lot of us athletes have with each other. And we recognize each, each and every one of these people who played at Oregon State, no matter what it was. We acknowledge them that they were a, a past athlete at Oregon State. And immediately we become friends. So many good stories that I'm sure we could do two or three podcast episodes. Oh. But oh. for now, uh, I'll just say if you're ever listening to this in, in November or whenever you listen to it, go check out the Angry Beaver downtown yeah. and sure. uh, see some awesome met stuff on the menu, watch an Oregon State game or in the middle of the week and watch whatever it may be. So Yeah, and always so yeah, always stop and say hi to me. Yeah. I mean I everybody says I love to talk. I really like getting to know Randy Holmes and talking about an era of Oregon State football that I hadn't really touched on too much yet on this podcast. It, it struck me his story about Mr. Jalulo and teaching him how to cook as he was over at Mr. Delulo's house, came out of the pool and ate some of his food. It struck me that that is oftentimes what mentorship looks like, learning a new skill, even if you didn't realize you are passionate about it, for someone to walk you through those tasks, teach you how to cut the tomatoes, and then you know the student has to have somewhat of a passion and desire to learn it along the way. But I thought that was a cool story of how Randy Holmes has embarked on a long-time career and still going strong with Angry Beaver Grill. And by the way, go check out Angry Beaver downtown Corvallis. They're doing weekend breakfast. So every Saturday, Sunday morning, go check out some NFL games, college football. You can have breakfast there. Or if it's a weekday, go in for lunch or dinner. You can do takeout, especially if it's not too easy to sit in a restaurant for obvious reasons. They do takeout there, tailgating for Oregon State football games as well. So go check out Angry Beaver Grill in Corvallis. No, Oregon State football is not 2-0, as we talked about. But if you do listen to the Oregon State football broadcast, you can join the post-game call-in show. That's what I do on 1240 AM radio. I host a post-game call-in show Saturday evenings after the game or afternoon, whatever time the game is. So uh, listen to the post-game call-in show. Give me a call on 1240 AM radio. All right, thanks again for listening to the Beaver Tales podcast. I've got an upcoming episode on the 19th with Pat Casey, a long-form sit-down conversation with Pat. That'll be really fun coming up. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Good night and go Beavs.